thread. A singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread. And I want to say thanks for those of you who are posting comments on the website and also for those who uh, are speaking to me in other ways. I heard uh, from the last thread, got a good comment from John Alcott, not exactly sure where John lives, and also from Ryan Lennon in Canton, Ohio. So thanks for taking the time to write and to uh, connect with me so that we can make this podcast better and better for you. Today we're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verse 21 down to 28. Try to get down uh, in our study today through verse 34. We're going verse by verse and section by section, working our way through Mark. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it this way. This is a New King James Version. Then they went out into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Are there demons? Well, Jesus is someone who has come from the spirit world. He is very aware of the spirit world, and he is firmly convinced that there are demons. He does not hesitate to engage demons. He doesn't question if it could be just superstition. He knows when he's dealing with something from the darkness, and he deals with it very forcefully. Uh, let's let's look at this passage, uh, chapter one, verse twenty-two. It says, "The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not like the scribes." If you ask the scribes, you know the um, the claim to fame for the scribes would be that they had knowledge. They were like the computers of their day. They had this deep knowledge base. They had memorized the Old Testament. And they didn't just memorize, you know, the words. They memorized uh, every consonant had a certain number of points. And at the end of every line, to make sure their work was correct in copying it, they would add up the number that should be there. So they weren't, you know, they didn't just memorize the uh, the words, but they knew the number that should be at the end. I mean, they had that kind of a grasp of the biblical text. And not just that, um, Throughout the years when rabbis had been asked questions, they had collected the answers to these questions. And whereas, you know, if you put the scriptures uh, in a modern Bible, the Old Testament is about an inch thick. Um, these, uh, 
Midrash and other you know, collections of Jewish scholars' rulings, they were like, you know, 10 inches thick. It was really it, so much more than even the scripture. And it was, it was tedious and that they were following their logic. And well, if this is true, then that must be true too. And uh, all kind of philosophical questions and superstitious issues. And so when a person would ask a rabbi, a, a scribe, a question, he would begin to roll off all the authority figures. Uh, Rabbi Gamaliel says this, Rabbi Shammai says this, and he would just, you know, show them the depth of knowledge that he possessed. And then he would try to, you know, come to a synthesis and say, okay, then therefore I believe it's this. Although for a lot of them, they weren't even trying to, to do the therefore. They just wanted to say, well, that, you know, the really powerful, smart guys, this is what they say. When Jesus steps up, he doesn't refer to anybody. He's not quoting any other Jewish scribe. He quotes the scripture and he applies it. And he says, you have to obey this word. Why? Who, who commands us? God commands you. It's his scripture. You obey the scripture. And so, you know, he cut out the middleman and all this academia goes away and all of this go between um, group, you know, goes away. And Jesus says, God's word applies to your life and you need to obey God's word and walk in it. And he's just teaching them with so much authority. And they'd never heard anyone teach like that. And that authority, the authority of standing on God's word, living the word, obeying the word, applying the word, and then opening the word up in front of other people, it stimulates things spiritually. Some people are stimulated to faith. And that happened a lot in Jesus' ministry. He would be teaching and his teaching would you know, stir up the faith in someone and they would believe God for some totally impossible miracle. And then it would happen. And Jesus would smile at them and say, your faith did that. You know, your faith made you whole. It, it rose up and it claimed the promise that was in the word as belonging to you. And, uh, you know, go in peace. Only this time it also stirred up demon forces. You know, now this is a man in Basically, he's in church. And uh, so he's, you know, he's sitting there in the crowd. And this man of authority delivers the word of God. Let me take a little side note here and talk about authority. Uh, God called me to preach pretty much when I got my life straightened out, which was about between 18 and 19 years of age. And uh, my father suggested, and it was a perfect suggestion, that I go with some missionaries that we respected a lot. Uh, in Mexico. So I spent the summer with Jim and Helen Mann in uh, Ciudad Victoria, Tamaulipas. And while I was there, you know, I'd, I'd been the bad kid in my family and everybody in my church knew me as this troubled young man. But now I was saved. And now uh, I was declaring to everybody, I'm going to preach. And when I said that, they would, you know, their faces would light up. And they were just so happy. I'd, I'd got my life on track. And now I was really walking with the Lord. And now is going to be in full-time ministry. So uh, I liked the response I got when people would ask me. I knew I was called, but, you know, I was being affirmed every time I, I said to someone, when they said, what are you going to do with your life? And I'd say, I'm going to, I'm going to serve in the church. I'm going to, I'm going to be a minister. And uh, they'd respond, well, well, now I'm in Mexico. And this visiting evangelist lady named uh, Elaine Ostrom came down there and sort of a charismatic evangelist. And she was also a friend of theirs and she was staying in their house 
and uh, we met for the first time. I'll never forget it. We were in the kitchen, and I introduced myself, and uh, then we sat down. And we were just, you know, visiting in the room, and she says, "And uh, what are you going to do with your life?" And I said, "I'm going to preach." And she looked me in the eye, and she said, "And what would you have to say?" And you know, I had been writing sermons for months. Uh, I'd be, you know, I'd be reading scriptures, and I'd get this idea, and I'd write down this sermon, and. And uh, boy, she just stopped me cold. She didn't affirm me. She didn't anything. And I, you know, I kind of puzzled look. And she said, what has God been telling you? What do you have that's yours that you don't, you're not just going to copy somebody else. And I went to my room, you know, later and I pondered that. And I thought, you know, really, if you look at every one of those sermons I was writing, I actually heard my pastor preach something like that or somebody else. And they were all copycat sermons. I said, I think she's right. I've got to get into such a place of walking with God that he talks to me directly and that I know what he's telling me and I can become a mouthpiece for the Lord because, you know, that's how Jesus taught. And when you teach like that, it's a whole different kind of teaching. You have to minister the word of God with authority. And Jesus did. And as he stood up in the church that day, declared God's word with authority a demon stirred this man up and they began to interact with him. Now, I've seen demons cast out in America. I've seen it among African cultures. I've seen it in Asia. I've seen demons dealt with among provincial people, uh, among urbanites, uh, educated people, affluent people. You know, I'm a believer. You know, I've been there and it's not just, oh, well, in those countries we have demons. Well, no, we have demons all over the world. And uh, we need to have a healthy respect for the supernatural world. We don't need a superstitious fear, and we don't need to be doing all kinds of things that um, are nervous attempt to protect ourselves with an anointing oil dripping off of every door in our house and sleeping with the Bible under our pillow. And, you know, this, that's superstition. Uh, we're not told to do that by Jesus. What we're told is, Take your authority and stand against him and he will flee. So learn to walk in the authority that Jesus has given us. He understands and he accepted the reality of demon personalities that they are capable of causing physical harm, of mental harm. Uh, they are capable of reasoned conversation, which he had with demons occasionally. You know, you might say, well, where did demons come from? We're not really told, and I think it's an important rule of Scripture that where the Bible is silent, we should be silent. So we can speculate, but we have to say, by the way, I'm totally speculating. And you can't teach these things in the church uh, as though it's a, you know, if you don't have solid Scripture, you're just guessing. And if you're going to be a teacher of God's Word, you don't present questions to people. You've got to give them something solid. Uh, some people believe, you know, they're fallen angels. And uh, other people believe that demons are lower than the angels. That uh, some hold to a gap theory. You know, we're in Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. It says that God created the earth. And then the next verse says, and the earth was without form and void. And some believe there was a created earth when Lucifer fell from heaven, was cast out. Uh, he came to that planet Earth, made it his headquarters, and as he did, the people of this Earth were somehow affected, uh, turning whatever that former civilization was, that the Earth kind of dissolved, 
and became formless and that the demons we have today uh, are somehow spiritually uh, connected to that pre-Adamic race. So I don't know. I can't say I know. I don't think the scriptures tell us. We know there are fallen angels. We don't know if these angels are, in fact, the demons uh, that we deal with. Um, what we do know is that if you're in the kingdom of God, there are two kingdoms in conflict. There has always been a kingdom of darkness on this planet. And Adam brought the kingdom of darkness to this planet, uh, raised it up so that it had authority over the planet. And uh, the authority God had given to Adam as a federal head was now seized through his rebellion and a curse came upon the earth. And the power of sin entered every one of Adam's descendants. And that creates uh, an issue for this planet. And the earth is convulsing. Uh, the New Testament says the earth is groaning in pains of childbirth, just begging God to fix it all. And he did begin that fix when he smuggled the kingdom of God into this planet in the body of a little baby named Jesus. And Jesus came to bring the kingdom, planted the mustard seed of the kingdom in the ground, watered it with his own blood, and started uh, a war, an absolute war. And if you remember what we said, the core of this book is about conflict. It's about those who are true disciples having to stand up and be true disciples and pay the price because there are two kingdoms in conflict. There are going to be power encounters. And you have to throw yourself into it and not run away from it. So we learn to stand in authority. We build ourselves up in the Lord because there's all kinds of spiritual power working in the world today. Uh, I live in Asia. And uh, one, of the, one of the happy things that I've seen all across Asia is when we deal with animistic cultures that have lots of worship of all kinds of trees and river spirits and um, fear of the dead and, you know, Animism is like there's gods in everything. And when the gospel comes to those cultures, there's an immediate showdown. There's usually violent spiritual activity and the kingdom of God. People just rise up. The Holy Spirit anoints them and they just do warfare. And there are demons cast out. There's amazing healings take place. And these cultures turn uh, with great confidence. We can invade these animistic societies because we realize uh, their God is a fallen spirit. We have the eternal Lord who made heaven and earth. We have the authority over him. And exorcism and healing are standard features of Christian ministry. And this should not be strange to any church. It should certainly uh, be something that feels normal to us, that we understand what this is. The average Christian should be equipped by their pastors and their churches and their church life to deal with the spirit world. Uh, it's nonsense to say the gifts are past. Well, turn around. Demons aren't past. Spiritual power is not past. Sin isn't past. Why in the world would God withdraw all the gifts of the Spirit and the power of healing? It's not going to happen. We need that. That's part of the gospel presentation to this generation. So, uh, you know, that demon is cast out. We see the same thing happen, healing again. In the story of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus just comes over her. Another one of the texts says he rebuked the fever. He spoke against the fever, told it to leave her. And the fever left. He didn't consider that a demon, but he spoke against disease. He spoke, you know, he spoke to things. Um, 
And then as, as we work our way down, you know, then you get down to verse 32 and it says, by the end of that day, when the sun is setting, they've brought to him everyone who is sick, demon possessed, the whole city has gathered together at the door of the house that he was staying in. Some people say that was Simon Peter's home. And he healed, verse 34, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So let's pray for the power and let's exercise that power. Speak to the darkness, rebuke it, learn to be strong, be strong in the Lord. And God will use you in ministry to set many people free. We'll see you next time.